hi, Dr. Shelley. I'm Nadia from zenonco.io, and it is an honor to have you with us today on today's knowledge sharing session, ma'am. To introduce Zenonco, yes, yes, ma'am. <laughs> to introduce Zenonco and Love Heals Cancer, we guide cancer patients in their treatment journeys with a very integrated oncological approach. And today's session is all about spreading that awareness and educating cancer patients in the best ways that you can, because you have a one-on-one -on -one experience with them, none like us. So let me take this opportunity to introduce you to the entire podium, ma'am. Dr. Shelly Mahajan has done her bachelor's in medicine from LTA Medical College, Mumbai, post-graduation from Himalayan Hospital, Dehradun, and then served as a visiting scholar in oncopathology at University of Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, right? Currently, she is the clinical lead for genomics at Caring Diagnosis, a Mahajan Imaging and Advanced Pathology Lab in New Delhi, ma'am. We welcome you to this podium. Please take the podium from here. Yeah, ma'am. Okay. Thank you. Thanks a lot for having me here. It's a, it's a great opportunity and a great honor. Uh, I hope I can uh, do justice to your viewers and give them some answers that they might be looking for. Wow. wow. That, that spirit, that enthusiasm is exactly what we need. Yeah. Right. So can we move on? We'll move on to the question answer session. Right, ma'am? Okay. Talking about hereditary factors, ma'am, hereditary cancers associated with these hereditary factors, would you like to tell us more and tell our viewers what exactly they need to start looking for, say, symptoms, say, um, other treatment types for hereditary, hereditary cancers, ma'am? Right. So uh, for hereditary cancers, see, first we need to understand uh, that, uh, uh, you know, uh, cancers, when we talk about hereditary cancers, 10% of total cancers have some kind of uh, inherited factors or uh, you know, in, uh, hereditary factors associated with them. That means as I has 10% of cancers are inherited cancers. Right. So, uh, uh, so hereditary cancers are basically uh, some things which uh, you have the propensity to or the you know susceptibility to uh, be present in the family so uh, the diagnosis of hereditary cancers relies more on a kind of a genetic mutation a gene mutation yes which uh, um, may lead to a higher risk of cancer susceptibility in a person and uh, knowing that uh, a person is at a higher risk of having a hereditary cancer uh, makes us uh, capable of uh, involving the person in more stringent screening protocols or uh, to uh, you know assess other family members of the of the patient to see if there is a susceptibility of getting the cancer in the future for that person as well this helps us to diagnose the cancer at a very early stage and the era that we in we are in right now, it really helps us to treat the patient better if the cancer is diagnosed at an early stage. Yes, yes. In Coming to that. Uh, uh, yeah, please go ahead. Sorry. No, you go ahead. I cut you. I'm so sorry. No, you go uh, ahead. In fact, we say that early detection is secondary prevention. That exactly. Means, yeah. Uh, yeah. That means if a cancer is diagnosed early, it can, it is better manageable. Uh, with better survival, uh, uh, you know, prognosis. Uh, uh, so, uh, so that's the importance of uh, these tests and knowing uh, that a cancer is hereditary. Yeah. So, early diagnosis, early 
the more earlier the cancer is caught the better and uh, taking into consideration hereditary cancers what you're saying is that within a family if you have so and so people who already have a history of it mm-hmm. um, is it the wisest decision for everybody to just go and start taking these tests because they are pretty expensive so so uh, see apart from uh, being expensive nadia i would say that there is a lot of uh, emotional component attached to it right so are right these tests that's why there are standard set guidelines for these tests these tests are not recommended uh, for everyone uh, for sure anybody can can get it done but right. are they recommended the recommendations are very uh, very you know specific correct uh, correct any person who is a high risk like you said like you yourself mentioned that if there is a family history of cancer so family history can mean a lot of things right like family history can also mean that there there was one cancer patient in the family who was diagnosed at the age of 65 years does that make me a a, a high risk person no there uh, family history when we say family history of cancers that means uh, a strong family history which means two or more first dig- two or more relatives on the same side of the family okay that makes sense okay so so you know if 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 i have one if somebody has one relative on the mother's side and one relative on the father's side having a cancer uh, that does not really put me in a high risk category right okay so in family history the how many people uh, on the same side of the family were uh, uh, cancer patients that matters secondly at what age were those diagnoses made right if the diagnosis was made uh, at the age of 70 years in fd case then it may not be that high a risk versus if there was a case even a single case diagnosed at a 30 years of age okay then it is high risk right so apart from just family history we need to know the age of diagnosis we need to know what kind of cancer was it right, right? specific cancers which are associated with the uh, uh, hereditary cancers like breast Correct. cancer ovarian yeah. cancer pancreatic cancer prostate cancer so we need also need to know uh, when we say history we also need to know what cancers were there in the family are they making a specific pattern like for example we know that breast ovary pancreas prostate they can be a part of a single syndrome so mm. that makes a significant history mm. right uh, and third and also is there if if at all there is a known mutation in the family known genetic mutation like somebody had a cancer at an early age just hypothetically and uh, the person was tested and was found to have a genetic mutation yeah then that makes all the relatives high risk so okay. you know okay that's how the history becomes very important it cannot be just be okay i have a family history what does that history mean what i mean you know it's it's that's where a uh, detailed history taking becomes very important clinician oh. uh, or the genetic counselor so uh, and that also helps in understanding the meaning of the test like one needs to know why the test is being done right so uh, uh, i think i think that answers the question i mean uh, j- just just knowing that there was a cancer in the family is not enough we need to know the detail when when of it what cancer you know all of that and knowing to... exactly what history is right what is this history that people are people keep talking about very important to uh, know and has to be done by uh, you know professionals uh, maybe the clinician or a genetic counselor so right. it's it's, uh, it's very very important yeah ma'am um 
you 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 spoke about knowing the history how 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 are the genes of a person you know related to these cancers how would how how will that mute can, can you explain to us the mutation part of it so okay first what is a gene okay so um it, so in our body we have like many cells right each cell has a nucleus okay nucleus is like the uh, control center of a cell right? right in the nucleus we have chromosomes okay mm. there are 23 pairs of chromosomes and the chromosomes are comprised of genes correct now we talk about genes what is a gene genes are basically coded messages okay, okay. for the cell which basically tell the cell how to behave okay so if those genes are faulty or mutated okay the message that they send to, to the cell will be faulty and that is what causes diseases and in uh, for the uh, sake of the discussion today let's assume those are the faulty messages or those are the faulty faulty genes which tell the cell to you know become cancerous okay so uh, uh, so that's the role of the genes normally a gene uh, may be you know uh, the role of a gene may be to stop cell division okay? right but if a faulty if that if that gene becomes faulty it may tell the the cell to wrongly keep multiplying okay, okay. to that could also happen yeah that can also happen and that may cause cancer so uh, so so that's the thing that's the role of a gene and i i was just trying to put it very simply yes um, so i mean you know that's why that's what we talk about when we say genetic testing we test the gene we test the mutations or the changes or the faults in the gene yes and then those and then we determine that okay these kind of faults have been associated or these kind of mutations have been known to be associated with a certain kind of cancer or, or a certain kind of uh, you know have been known to be responsive to a certain kind of treatment right so ma'am those you know how those genetic tests are uh, uh, interpret the interpretations are made and uh, the treatments are decided based on that okay yeah. that was a very clear answer i also like to add to it that these the faults or the mutations which i am talking about so every two people have some genetic differences okay if right. you take healthy people if you take you and me or me and my sister then uh, our genes will still show some differences right that does not mean that uh, uh, you know one of us has some disease that does not mean that no two people okay. are same no okay structures are the same certain faults or certain mutations are disease causing they are called as pathogenic mutations right and certain mutations are like for example the color of your eyes the, the kind of your hair your skin color those are also genetic things right but they are not disease causing right so exactly uh, for for cancer the test we do we find out those faults we we categorize those uh, mutations into disease causing or non disease causing and then that's how the interpretations are made and that's how you know that's how the reports are uh, generated wow okay correct now it gives me much more of a clearer picture than i have, than i only had <laughs> right ma'am so coming to women specific you know uh brca genes how are they associated with women ma'am so uh brca 1 and 2 we call those braca braca 1 and 2 uh see they they became famous after you know the whole angelina jolie exactly episode. exactly um, they these two are the most commonly associated genes with the with hereditary cancers right, right. 
तो आई वुड से यू नो एंड 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 ऑल्सो दे आर हाईली पेनेट्रेंट विच मीन्स दैट इफ समबडी हैज अ ब्राका म्यूटेशन देर इज अ वेरी हाई चांस एज मच एज सिक्सटी टू सेवेंटी परसेंट चांस that the person will get cancer by the age of 80 years and that's the current data the data keeps changing yes so that's the you know that's the implication of having a braca mutation now the braca mutation uh, is the myth is that it is only associated with breast cancer but that's not that true braca mutation are known now there are there is well uh, published data on this braca mutations are associated with not just breast cancer but multiple cancers like you know breast cancer ovarian cancer pancreatic cancer prostate called a syndrome it, it, it's a syndrome is basically multiple diseases which have a single cause you know uh, uh, similar presenting features so that's braca mutation braca 1 and braca 2 are you know are they are two different genes which have been well studied and well proven to be associated with hereditary cancers right that does not mean that these are the only two genes which are associated with with hereditary cancers now there are uh, you know uh, as much as 30 to 40 genes which are uh, you know th- known to be associated with hereditary cancers apart from braca 1 and braca 2 but braca1 and braca2 are the most commonly associated genes and that's why we study them now another important thing you specifically mentioned women right but yeah. the point is that braca gene is there in both men and women yes. braca gene can be mutated in both men and women it's presented more often in uh, females yes. more commonly in women yeah. but as i mentioned braca mutations are also associated with pancreas cancer or prostate cancer and even males may show uh, breast cancer yes i was just right? my next question was right. about that yeah so the that's again the importance of knowing that a family has a braca mutation or any kind of genetic mutation because if the implication is not just for the females it it's also it's for the entire family yes they can be prostate cancer they can be pancreatic cancer they can be male breast cancer and they are all easily you know uh, uh, you can easily screen the person if you know that uh, there is a mutation so uh, that's the importance of uh, braca mutation it's the most commonly uh, tested gene also because the data is much much more the actionability is much much more now there are treatments for specifically for braca mutation there is a new fda approved drug called pap inhibitors or polaparib Okay. which are which are which are you know considered to be like magical drugs for these kind of mutations uh, improving the progression free survival by, by almost one year so uh, that's again uh, again you know tells us how important these tests become if the person is high risk risk right right but the first step is always realizing whether they are high risk or not and then moving on to this right right ma'am genetic testing when does one get genetic testing done how are these tests done and i mean talking about i mean certain tissue samples which is so difficult to access how how is that possible like ma'am how do we work around that so uh, see as i mentioned uh, initially uh, that there are two kinds of cancers one can be a uh, uh, hereditary cancer which is you know go, wherein the genes are going have a history to- yeah other can uh, kind of cancer is uh, acquired cancers right which are where again there are certain mutations in the genes 
Right. But those mutations are not present since birth. They are not present in the family. They are acquired during your lifetime. Like for like smoking, you know, because of smoking, there are might be certain mutations which may lead to lung cancer or pollution. You know, so these are called uh, these are certain exposures which happen during your lifetime, which may cause these sporadic cancers. Right. So genetic testing in both these situations are two different things. Right. When we talk about hereditary cancers, as I said, these mutations are present in each cell of your body. Right. They, they are present since, since your embryonic stage, right? So they're present in each cell of your body. And hence, for such kind of mutations, a blood test is done. Yes. We just need a blood test because in blood also, we will find those mutations in the nucleus of the blood cells, right? We need to know which, which, which one we need to take up, whether it's the blood, right. blood test or, okay. You need okay. to know that. What are you looking for? We are looking for a hereditary predisposition. We need a blood sample. We do not need a tissue sample. Right. But versus if we want to look for uh, the kind of mutations in, an, in, a, in a particular tumor to determine the treatment, huh. uh, then we need the tissue sample. Because oh, the okay, mutations okay. are not present in the blood cell. The, that's called a somatic cancer, right? That's called a sporadic cancer. That in, in that case, the mutation has happened only in that tissue where the cancer is. Okay. So we need that tissue. So these are two different things, right? Uh, for a germline testing, we need a blood sample for a, uh, for a sporadic or, you know, for a clear tissue sample. Nowadays, there are options of liquid biopsy also, which is done on blood sample. But uh, uh, traditionally, like... For sporadic cancers, we need the tissue. We do not need the tissue for a germline testing. Yes. Okay. So when the tissue is inaccessible, right? Uh, when the tissue is inaccessible, that's when the liquid biopsy comes in. Uh, in liquid biopsy, we look for tumor cells or tumor DNA in the uh, blood. Okay. Because it's known, it's now it's known that sometimes, you know, the tumor discharges its DNA or uh, certain tumor cells, they come in the circulation. Right. But that is again different from germline testing. I'll repeat, germline, in germline testing, we are taking the person's DNA okay, and testing that. Yes. While in somatic testing, like for t tumor uh, treatment uh, decisions or for liquid biopsy, we are testing the DNA of the tumor. Okay. We are not looking for the person's DNA when we are doing a liquid biopsy. We are looking for the DNA which tumor has released uh, in the blood. So right. that's the difference. That's that's what makes a liquid biopsy more complicated than a germline testing. Right. Yeah. Getting knowing what to test when and how to test it. How these tests have to be done is so important, right? Yeah. And as a pathologist, I mean, what are your basic the, the challenges that you face, ma'am? Like as a pathologist, in your experience, I would like to know it from the horse's mouth. Yeah. So, see. In terms of um, challenges, okay, so the, I'll first talk about the germline part, okay. Uh, in, in germline part, technically now the things have become very, very streamlined because now it's, you know, it's, a, it's an ever-improving technology and we have the best equipment, we have the best of softwares. So the challenges that we face uh, sometimes are just... Uh, a awareness right just 
convincing the patient or uh, uh, and it comes from it's a challenge for us and the clinician both just to convince or explain to the patient what are the implications of the test yes yes drum line or genetic testing it's very important to uh, talk to the patient before the test talk it talk it length it's called counseling right we tell and explain to the patient what we are going to do what are we trying to achieve with this test what uh, what does it mean if your test comes out to be positive or negative yes. okay so just convincing the patient you know uh, we have to convince the tell the patient both ways like you know if, if not to be too disheartened or not to be too happy you know because and, and so the counseling part is the most challenging for a germline testing right and then uh, the post post test counseling as well when we have to tell the patient that okay again what does it mean to uh, to have a positive or a negative test and i will talk about that also in uh, uh, further in this uh, chat but um, interpretation you know in uh, interpretation of the results it's very challenging and the most important part of the whole procedure uh, so as i said we need to know uh, whether the genetic mutations are disease causing or not okay all right like any yeah. zone, which is called a variant of uncertain significance it's a gray zone we can't we can't call it positive or negative right what implications of that that that's again a next challenge it's just interpretation and explaining the result right that this was about germline yes. while we about uh, the somatic side or the tissue side of things apart from all the challenges which i'm facing in the germline the interpretation and the meaning of the test meaning of the results uh, tissue accessibility yes another challenge hmm. sometimes uh, you know there are uh, the, the tumor is at certain as i said the tissue has to be taken from where the cancer is right sometimes the cancer is at a very inaccessible location right in the, right know, also if, if sometimes a, a biopsy is a, is very you know uh, uncomfortable for the patient yeah the patient is already um, in in a morbid condition and then uh, uh, a biopsy becomes an added uh, stress to the patient right so uh, the accessibility of the tissue right ability of enough tissue to get good amount of dna out of it to test that becomes an issue sometimes so uh, th- these are the major challenges apart from uh, interpretation is uh, and uh, you know what, what, it can be sorted out by just interacting with the clinician we try to talk to every clinician and uh, explain the result and discuss the results with the patient in keeping the clinical picture in mind so that becomes uh, very important in, in these kinds of tests because um uh, and because the, the interpretation of the test can really change the treatment plan and treatment protocol of the patient so uh, yeah that these are the major challenges that one faces okay as a pathologist now as a pathologist setting the right treatment plan for the patient there more than the counseling what exactly do you face ma'am so uh, see setting the right treatment plan is more uh, uh, up to the clinician clinician right? yeah we do uh, what we do is uh, giving the uh, as a diagnostician what we do is giving the right information to the clinician for him to or for him or her to make the right treatment plan treatment plan right 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 there are certain treatments where they need to know whether uh, this mutation is there or not a positive or a negative is equally important right so the test has to be so sensitive the interpretation has to be so 
uh, good you know that the that the clinician gets the exact information and we try to give as much clean information as possible and not work around gray zones but you know it's it's medicine it's never 100% so uh, so that, so that's important the treatment plan is prepared ultimately by the clinician what we can do is only assist them or help them uh, uh, in in making that uh, plan so uh, and that is always the role of a diagnostician all right ma'am all right so the diagnostician plays a part in this whole journey it's a team work it's a team effort that is being put in here right and um, when you're like getting to tell the clinician that this 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 is the is the is the right way and it is the right result that you have gotten from the information you have got you have taken from the patient the clinician takes it from there right ma'am right absolutely how does, how does the uh, radiologist and you come in a certain you know your work together how do both of you all help the clinician in your own way right so see the first thing is again um, just being able to convey the right information to the uh, to the uh, treating doctor okay hmm. then uh, uh, see radiology see what we are doing in radiology and pathology in radiology we are basically seeing the images and making the diagnosis it it, it is relatively less invasive hmm. because it's just you know the patient goes in the machine and uh, an image is taken yeah in pathology what we are doing is once ident- if uh, if something is identified uh in uh, uh, in radiology we we go into that uh, that lesion or whatever is identified and we directly test it correct okay. correct so that's how it goes hand in hand as a pathologist uh, if i get some extra information from the from a radiology report it does help in uh, uh, you know in the diagnosis histopathology for example is kind of a gold standard for most of the diagnoses there are many uh, specially cancer diagnoses uh cannot be you know it, they can only be suspected on radiology but they can be confirmed uh, on histopathology so getting that information that kind of information from uh, a radiology report helps a helps a pathologist to make a better decision yeah either these two reports help the clinician to understand the disease better the spread of the disease the extent of the disease um the the surety that the disease is there right yes yes uh, so so all of that uh, it it becomes like a team yes you know radiology pathology clinical side everything it becomes a team uh, and um, and if we talk about how radiology and pathology sometimes need to collaborate exactly. is the biggest example is uh, image guided biopsy as we okay. were just talking about uh, there are certain uh, tissues which are inaccessible um, mm. you know easily yes but you know uh, sometimes you just have to have the bi- take the biopsy there's no other option what would you do we need we use image guided biopsies so that's where the radiologist and the pathologist work together so uh, you know it it's it's very very situational situation based but uh, it's all like it's 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 definitely like a team work so uh, the, always this communication chain becomes very important between the radiologist pathologist molecular pathologist uh clinician surgeon you know everyone needs to be communicating and we do communicate we, we you need to communicate and come uh, down to a treatment always point. always yeah always also ma'am uh, y'all doctors like yourself 
who specialize in interpreting lab tests, evaluating cells, tissues, and organs to diagnose diseases in so many different methods. You all use state-of-the-art equipment, everything up to date, right? And you were telling me about the equipment and using how you use them to get the biopsies, right? Talking about these biopsies, are biopsies the only way to diagnose? When you come, when you talk about biopsies, are they the only way in which a cancer can be realized as oh, this it's cancerous? No, well, it's not cancerous. I say, see, let me even take. So the um, suspicion hmm. will all you. I mean, the first suspicion happens definitely in in, in by. The, at the clinical stage or then at the radio, radiology stage. Right. But the guidelines say, you yes. know, histopathology is the gold standard because in that case, you are going into the cell okay. and looking at the cell and saying that, okay, this looks like a cancer. This does not look like a benign or non-cancerous uh, uh, lesion. Okay. That defines your diagnosis, basically. That, that just closes the diagnosis. Okay, yes. that closes the extent of diagnosis. I mean, the uh, the confidence in the diagnosis. Right. There would definitely be certain very obvious lesions which one can be sure of, even uh, you know, sometimes clinically, some and even sometimes radiologically. But to give that, you know, see, it's a life-changing diagnosis. We have right. to understand cancer is a life-changing diagnosis. So uh, life-changing in the sense that there is so much uh, emotional, you know, uh, this journey one has to go through. It's a lo- it becomes a long fight for the patient. So it has to be a hundred percent. It cannot be like, you know, uh, uh, a suspicion. It has to, it, it's either there or not or there. Or not there. Correct, correct. So Your results also need to be like that. Even if, you know, it, it comes with, also comes with experience. A, a very, very experienced clinician may just touch the lesion or touch the patient or, you know, touch the lump huh. and say, okay, this looks like cancer. Okay. It will always look like cancer. It, it cannot be, you know, the, the treatment cannot be started. Right. Uh, uh, these are such heavy treatments. They cannot be started without a confirmed diagnosis. So even if we are sure radiologically, even if we are sure on a FNAC, hmm. not even FNAC, a biopsy is definitely needed to confirm the diagnosis. Even uh, uh, also to subtype the lesion, subtype the malignancy now because the treatments are so specific for different kinds of cancer, different subtypes of cancer. That to even to uh, it's also important to subtype the malignancy using immunohistochemistry or some other techniques. Just HNE routine histopathology is also not enough. So it it comes with the changing or evolving technologies, evolving science. Okay. Uh, there was a time when just a clinical diagnosis was good, good enough, right? But because of the evolving uh, uh, te- technologies, we need to be almost hundred percent sure of our, di- uh, you know, of the things we are doing. So that's how the uh, the whole spectrum, the whole group of uh, diagnosticians comes together, and it's very important. Wow, it's really good to know such teamwork is being put into such effort, right? Ma'am, also in a report, um, a pathological report, what are the basics that are going to be? I know it's really vast topic and it's a really vast region there, but the basics of what does a pathological report have? See, we need to know what 
are we trying to convey to the doctor okay what are we trying to help the doctor with we need, we need to tell the doctor uh can the cancer is there or not there we need to tell the doctor where is the cancer arising from right we need to tell the doctor uh, how uh, how much the cancer has spread okay we need to tell the doctor whether the amount of tissue which has been removed is enough or is there or still hmm. or is there still some cancer left in the body right so these are the kinds of uh, answers we are looking for and that's what the uh, a complete pathology uh, uh, report at least a basic pathology histopathology report for cancers should be including um uh, you know confirming the cancer confirming the uh, primary organ if possible sometimes that's not possible on routine histopathology um the extent of the disease how much the disease has spread um you know and is there a chance that uh, there was still some tumor the margins were not clear is there a chance that the some of the cancer was still left in the body so uh, uh, all of this is uh, uh, definitely needs to be included in in fact this is the basic there's much more one needs to include in the report um to for for the patient to again you know move to the next step yes move to the next step in the sense decide whether there is another some other diagnosed uh, you know some other test which needs to be done or there is uh, or you know we can move with which kind of treatment we need to move ahead with so that's the basic uh, sense of a cancer especially a cancer report right also you were you were saying once this report is out there in time like early detection then the treatment plan will get even better and managing the whole cancer will also be much better so absolutely uh, earlier the cancer is diagnosed um, the more manageable it becomes okay uh, and early detection when i say early detection that's more uh, towards uh, screening protocols early screening you know more stringent screening and uh, that's where the you know the genetic testing comes into play if if somebody knows that uh some somebody is a braca mutation positive then we know that there is a 70% chance that the person will get cancer uh, by the age of 80 years so we we follow most stringent screening protocols for the person so okay. why do we do that we cannot prevent the cancer from happening uh, you know by, by doing just screening we are doing that so that we can just catch the disease at a very very early stage because it's a known fact that if you catch the disease at a very early stage you can treat it better even cure it oh yes so that's the importance even if there is no mutation there are standard guidelines for screening that's the reason for those screening screening is not to prevent a cancer screening is to detect the cancer early to yes. manage it better to improve the survival or the improve the prognosis of the patient so that's the purpose of early detection and screening and early detection and screening changes the whole ball game of the it entire yeah it changes the survival so it 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 changes the treatment protocols it changes you know it whatever stage it, the cancer was first diagnosed it it changes the if it changes the uh, survival rate it changes everything right so right. it's very important to uh, diagnose a cancer very at a very early stage uh when you can treat it with a curative intent and not just a palliative intent right right, right. so uh, and we are lucky to be living in this era right where uh, there are every every year there are some new kinds of treatments coming in and there are such good technologies when we can diagnose a disease early there are such sensitive uh, machines and uh, you know which which help us catch the disease at a very very early stage 
so that's the importance of uh, all these tests we the survival the uh, prognosis of cancers 20 years back and now is so different right nobody could think 20 years back that one could treat cancer with curative intent in such but a way right yeah yeah but now it's happening so mm. that's all the, that's the importance of these evolving guidelines and evolving technologies and um, that's that's about it yeah. wow wow I, i when i'm hearing you itself i i'm kind of picturing how it will be in the next 2 3 years or even 5 10 years down the line because every year like you said if the state of the art equipment keeps keep bettering itself yeah. right absolutely and this helps you people this helps all the doctors they they the team gets better the team gets tighter and you all are able to work at this i mean for how long has the fight towards cancer being you know getting stronger and stronger and stronger absolutely, absolutely. it's been absolutely. going on for decades right now if you ask me right and it's it's improving every year there is something new coming up every year and that's the beauty of it that's the excitement of it yeah so, uh, yeah even still we have so many unanswered questions ma'am like for example say for example someone who has been uh, an alcoholic or a smoker who has been going on with the same i mean they, their ways of life a certain lifestyle and they don't land up with cancer when someone who has never touched alcohol or maybe not even smoked their entire life or touched tobacco seen what tobacco is has cancer or mouth cancer or lung cancer what what is the i don't know where to draw the line if you ask me yes, that's 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 what we call sporadic cancers yes. and you're right that does remain unanswered yes. and that does sound unfair very but uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah that that is un, un uh, that remains unanswered the only thing which appears to be uh, you know happening is that there might be certain additional exposures that might have happened through the life of the person we don't know yeah because most most as of the doctors as, uh, it might be just you know uh, i mean it's uh, I can, nobody can be sure but it might be just uh, a, you know a family member used to smoke a lot okay but uh, you know or uh, which is called passive smoking but because of pollution or certain other kind of uh, carcinogens i mean you're right it's 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 unanswered and that's what we call sporadic cancers where we you know there is no as such there is no risk factor but it did happen yeah. so i mean i'm i'm, I'm hoping that uh, more answers come in in the future but um you know there is a thing like it's called a two hit hypothesis okay Please even tell if, me about it yeah uh, even if there is a kind of um, mutation which happened um, because of whatever reason sometimes we you need a second hit in the sense that uh, a gene has two alleles okay yeah. so uh, you need a second hit on the second allele for the cancer to happen yes right it maybe my i mean maybe uh, that's the difference between those two scenarios which you mentioned hmm. um but that's also again sporadic why would that two hit not happen in somebody who is uh, a chain smoker okay right, right. so uh, i mean but data does you see my point is that there are we might have seen just one or two of such situations but if we go to the papers if we go to the literature the data still does show that a smoker has a much higher chance of getting a lung cancer than a non smoker 
that's what that, the data shows yes. that was that's what those studies have been done on thousands of cases yeah right uh, this does happen i mean i'm not saying that it does not happen that a completely healthy lifestyle person gets a cancer mm. it remains unanswered but that does not mean that uh, you know uh, smoking does not uh, smoking or any other uh, you know uh, uh, exposure uh does not have a higher risk of getting cancer because data does show that right mm-hmm. these studies which happen they happen on thousands of subjects mm-hmm. so uh, it's i i think it becomes very individualistic uh and it's too bad for that that one person but um uh, it's not true it's that mostly because it's never 100% in medicine okay? right 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 so we only talk about probabilities that there is a higher probability that a smoker will get cancer there is a higher probability that um a person with a mutation will have a cancer there is a higher probability that somebody um, you know who has been working in factories may get cancer so these are all probabilities so there will always be a small subset of uh, persons who will for for whom we don't have any data yet to prove or to reason why uh, the cancer happened in that person all right all right anyway um my like i talking about cancers we have to talk about nutrition and what kind of intake the person has i mean ma'am what is the right kind of nutrition that you would suggest to our viewers who are watching like what is i mean for each person it is what they think is right is healthy for their body it's unique everybody follows their own unique healthy lifestyle in their own way you take oh. what the doctor says yeah so when we talk about nutrition uh, there is nothing like uh, uh, something which is good for not having cancer nutrition has to be generally healthy a high protein low carbohydrate diet yes with uh, with some mindful walking some med- meditation you know it just inc- improves your immunity it's all about immunity how your body reacts to certain exposures in your life okay uh so it's not uh, very cancer specific but just generally you know uh, high fiber high protein low carbohydrate diet with lots of uh, you know uh, exercise yes so you know this is this is nothing which is cancer specific it's everyone knows that uh, you know any kind of chronic diseases it helps with because ultimately it all improves your immunity ultimately yes so that's, that's what the goal that's what we need to work on that's the goal that may not help in preventing the cancer per se but it will help in uh, fighting with the cancer the cancer right more better immunity you have the you know more better you can fight the cancer so uh, uh, that that's one thing but uh, I, i mean just eat healthy work out stay happy mind mindful just be mindful and be positive so that's that's about awareness that. needs to be there that awareness needs to be there awareness needs to be there yes and uh, <laughs> sorry what all what all are those things that we need to be aware of that we have certain foods they they could lead to cancer if we have certain like say for example oily foods right. or something of carbon yeah. like things oily that are burnt spicy oily food or spicy food yeah. right right these can, these can because they have direct effect on your stomach right right, right. but uh, other than that i personally believe that uh, again i'll come down to 
you can eat everything eat everything in moderation just take a good high protein and high green leaves diet yeah. right high fiber is very important that because uh, fiber uh, like ma'am can you be more specific high fiber high fiber like you know salads or green leaves just you know just kacha raw salad and all so that also helps in uh, uh, you know better prevention of cancer right right mm-hmm. so i mean and that is not really in the sense that it's not it's not something uh, which is unheard of it's generally also very uh, helpful in having a high vitamin c high protein high carbohydrate high fiber sorry low carbohydrate high fiber and low fat diet right 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 it's uh, but a general of, thing yes yes yeah, general thing good physical activity sleep well you know give yourself 8 hours of sleep every day at least so drink lots of water lots of fluids so you know all of these these this just keeps you generally healthy may may not have something to very specifically do with cancer but just keep you generally healthy so that you can fight the uh, the disease or any infection which may come your way your immunity is always ready and waiting yes yes immunity is there because if we talk about cancer see with, with cancer comes when the treatment starts there comes certain comorbidities also yeah. you need to be ready to fight all Right. So, so all that really the, the you know just generally healthy lifestyle uh, really helps with that. Exactly. Exactly. Coming to my final question, ma'am, about the myths and the stigmas attached to cancer. Have you faced anything as such with a patient? Where uh, do let us know. Do let us know on those insights of and how we can be better at this and how we shouldn't be in such a situation where we believe these myths and stigmas, right? So see, myths. First of all, I'll talk about stigma. Okay, I feel it's high time that we start talking about breast cancer, ovarian cancer, the way it should be, right? Uh, still, uh, you know, still you will find uh, cases where uh, uh, nobody wants to tell anybody that we have a breast cancer in the family. Yeah. So that's one stigma. If you do not talk about it. uh then you will then how will you screen it okay so mamo people do not want to uh, you know know that there is a possibility that they might have cancer correct that that stigma is associated with the disease itself that's not fair it's just a disease okay uh, it's it's a disease just cut in here and just make one thing when it comes to women you, you were saying ovarian breast and uh, yeah when it comes to women we tend to not take care of ourselves as much as yeah. just <laughs> we tend not to take care and then when you know we are not first responders to our own exactly. home, huh. yeah even if uh, we real, and especially when it comes to you know i'm i'm spe- uh, stressing on uh, breast cancer because uh, you know nobody wants to tell anyone or tell anyone oh i'm feeling some kind of a lump in my breast they don't want to tell if we you know we can't talk about breast okay. so that's not right you know uh, we need to understand that it's just a disease it's just an organ which may just have a disease right right, right? that's the first stigma associated with it. we women do not want to take care of themselves and if at all i mean the least of all they want to talk about is uh, uh, some ovarian or a breast disease right then um, uh, another myth is that uh, you know um, 
again, which I've already talked about, uh, all cancers are not hereditary, but cancers may be hereditary. Yes. So uh, be aware of that. Be aware of the risk factors uh, of having, you know, that there is a possibility of having. It's not uh, a myth anymore. Like cancer isn't, no. No, it's, it's, it can happen. It can happen. It does happen. As, as the diagnostic uh, techniques are increasing, are getting better, the, the diagnosis is becoming um, better and earlier. So that seem, it seems that the cancer is also increasing. So right. it's not a myth anymore. And it's, it's, a, it's just another disease which yes. if tackled early can be treated very well. Yes. Ma'am. So we just need to be more aware of that. Uh, yeah. And and the biggest myth, you know, and um, I'll say it in a very, uh, uh, this language which I hear, Mujhe kyun hoga cancer? You know? Oh. <laughs> you know, like this thing. So there's no answer to it. That does not mean that, you know, be, do, can you, uh, you know, are we sure that all the women at the, uh, start their mammography screening at 40 years of age? No. I say, not all. <laughs> Why? Because hume kyun hoga cancer? You know, Mujhe hoga breast cancer. You know, so that's that's a myth. That's a myth or a stigma, whatever you say. That's a myth. Kisi, anybody can get cancer. Anybody that can get cancer. Live in the fear. That does not mean that you need to live in the fear, but that at least means that you need to be practical about it and know that there are uh, protocols available which can be followed to, uh, if at all, if it, it doesn't happen, very good. But if mm. at all, there are protocols available which you can which can help you treat it better. So uh, that's the you know the first step to success is knowing that there is a problem, or the first step to solving a problem is at least knowing that there is a problem. Problem, right, right. Uh, so that's the first rather thing. than living in denial. Exactly, the first thing is to accept that anybody can get cancer. Right, right. So. Uh, that's 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 very important to just come out of that shell and uh, uh, you know just be practical. About yeah, the importance of self-examination in this, yes. being able to examine yourself and say, okay, this is this. I should be asking for help. I should be going out and you know yes. trying to you know examine what is happening to my body. That mm. self-examination, ma'am. That yeah. Is part so- of it. Uh, that is definitely a part of it. That's in fact the first step, even before you start MAMO, just, you know, start self-breast examination uh, uh, as early as possible. And again, uh, you know, don't, don't, not to ignore it. Right. Ma'am. You know, you, one may be doing that self-breast examination all her life, but when that lump is felt, have the courage to, you know, have the confidence to just go out and say, okay, I have something, I have to go to the doctor. Yes. Right. So uh, I think that still remains that kind of uh, confidence that, uh, you know, now is the time that I need to go to go see a doctor. So this will be your take to the viewers today. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, You know, my, my, my final take would be, don't be scared of the disease because we are lucky to be living in a, in a time where it can be dealt with very confident very very well that can be dealt with very well there now we are starting to treat cancers uh, if caught at an early stage with a curative intent and not a palliative intent so 
and please accept that you know the guidelines which are laid for screening protocols or like you said self based examination the guidelines which are laid are uh, are based on lots lot of extensive study so it means something they are not just you know randomly nobody came and said okay 40 plus women should get a mammo done no or or a high risk uh, family with a with a very strong family history or an early age young cancer i mean a young age uh, cancer or a you know a uh, uh, personal history of bilateral cancers or multiple cancers if all of this is there there is a reason why the guidelines are there there is there is a reason why genetic testing is recommended in these cases there is there is a reason why international guidelines also say the same so uh, please accept that and uh, you know don't be scared there is there we, we are blessed to have um, very very good uh, treatments and diagnostic techniques available so please go exploit them and uh, don't live in the fear Yeah. Yes, ma'am. It has been such a pleasure talking to you, Madam Shelly Mahajan. Really, and thank you so much in your busy schedule. Thank you so much. It really means a lot that you took the time out. Uh, thank you so much for letting me do this. It's always nice to uh, be able to talk to uh, uh, people, and you know, it's given me an opportunity to do this. Thank you so much. So much of understanding and so much of insights that you've just brought on, even for myself. So many things that I did not know. that i am so like i feel okay now i know this now these could be certain signs for me as well so that itself is such an insightful discussion i had with you today ma'am i'm so happy and and on behalf of zenonco i would really like to thank you ma'am thank you so much thanks thank a you lot thank you so much have have a good evening all right thanks, and thanks a lot please take care please take care and it's going to benefit so many patients out there watching this video ma'am thank you so much i hope it does thank you thank you Bye. Bye.